up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, another carefully planned out daily CBS Sports NFL podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I am your host. Reminder, today is Tuesday, April 16th. Tomorrow, April 17th, Wednesday, from 4 to 6 p.m. on CBS Sports HQ, we'll be doing a live mock draft show. Myself, Ryan Wilson, Brady Quinn, Jason Lockenfora, Pete Prisco, Danny Cannell, Jamie Eisenberg, Brian McFadden, I think there may be more. I don't know. Who knows? Who the hell knows? There's a lot of us. It's going to be awesome. We're going to go 1 through 32, break down every single pick um, in our mock. You'll enjoy it. Go to cbssports.com slash live or download the CBS Sports app on your phone and fire up CBS Sports HQ 24-7 live streaming sports network. All free. No politics. No fake debates. Just a bunch of banging NFL news and a bunch of other stuff for you. Ryan Wilson, Sean Wagner, McGuff. What's up, buddies? Also, Wednesday morning, bright and early. Seven rounds. Seven round mock draft comes out. So, see, see, Ryan, you're like, why do I have to keep coming to this podcast? I'm like, you got to promo your mock draft, Ryan. I'm willing to bring you that's, back on. Yeah. That's not what I say. What <laughs> I say is, why are you so horrible at planning this, this podcast? That's what I say. Three for, times. for, for, I'm just gonna be totally honest here for everyone listening. Me and Ryan were supposed to come on today to do a little Game of Thrones 10 minutes add on to the normal podcast. So we come on at the time we're supposed to talk. And Brinson's trying to tell us what the plan is. Turns out the plan is we're just doing the entire podcast. Yeah, so. we're gonna knock out a quick podcast. Look, this this we got to get rid of this time between the the uh, owners' meetings and the draft. We got to shrink this. There's a, there's like two weeks too much space between the draft and the end of the season. Wouldn't you agree? They're talking about moving the draft back further, maybe into May. That would, would be great. Said, would complicate things. Well, I I don't know because if they move the draft back at least you have more time to talk about the draft because once the draft's done what are you going to talk about in this podcast right from the nfl pr side and the media side it's fine but for the nfl teams trying to get these players yeah. in there and, and yeah. plan for the, the upcoming season that's sort of problematic and don't real- brinson has his vacation from may to june so that also <laughs> impinges on that i am going to disney world in may very excited about that oh um, wait, you are i am i'm going after the draft nice. we're going to disney world yeah uh right. my wife my, and I and Robbie, my son, uh, his first. Can I trip. give you a little advice? Yeah, don't go. I went. I went to Disney. No, no, go. It's a fantastic time. Like you know me, I hate people. Sure, you. Disney sure World do. was. It, it made me want to spend all the money I spent there. It's, it's extremely expensive, but it's it's well worth it. You, but I, I will say this: I went. So your little, your tiny little black heart, like opened up a little bit and shone for a minute. Is that what you're saying? No, I still punched out Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed doing it. But uh, I went 2014 when my now 12 year old was seven. Wow. And don't make this mistake with Robbie, who's who's five. He'll be five and a half or so, I think. Right by the time you guys get there. Absolutely correct. Do not take him on Space Mountain. Uh, Space Mountain, I thought was, oh, this is a kid's ride. I never paid much attention. Nope. I know it been around since the sixties or whatever. And I have a picture. So when you, when you go on these rides at the very end, you can see the snapshots they take. They try to sell you midway through each ride. Yeah. And I have, I still have the picture. I can, I can tweet it out, I suppose, of my seven year old sitting in the back of this thing. Cause it's shaped like a, like a rocket. So there's three seats. Me behind me was my nephew who was 12 at the time. And then my uh, oldest son at the back. And this is what I heard in the entire ride, which is pitch black, by the way. You can't see anything in this ride. Why did you bring me on this ride? <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my God, please let him fall out because if his mother finds out about this, I'm going to be a deep doo-doo. So don't do that to Robbie. That's a little uh, pro tip for uh, ahead of your trip to Disney World. You know who else is petrified of Space Mountain? 
Will this guy, I, I hate. Say, I would, I would not go just as a. Person. So, are you guys not roller coaster guys? No, I hate roller coasters. That's I despise them. Would you, you believe that I love roller coasters? I would not. I would. Not, I would. <laughs> I wouldn't. Isn't that crazy? You hate everything. In fact, I if don't. I were, if I were ranking people who would like roller coasters on this current podcast, I think I would be one. Sean would be two, and Ryan. Would no, be no, three. Breach would definitely be number one. I just mean on <laughs> yeah. currently. Yeah, yeah, Breach. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Breach. There's nothing Breach loves more than like. Chugging like some Cavassier and then like getting on a roller coaster or something like that. No, I, I like, actually, like, like, like chugging fireball and be like, let's go on a roller coaster. I um, really love roller coasters, which is weird. So you'll enjoy, um, Epcot, which is you have a beer in each country. That's something you could probably get into. I can get into that. I, I also expensive, by the way. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't really have a whole lot of control per se over our itinerary. I'm just going to go where I'm Which told. Which is probably wise, given how you yeah. produce this podcast. I was going to say, you're, you don't strike me as the planner of the family. <laughs> I'm the fun guy. Although he tries to sell himself as the planner. <laughs> look, man, you, look, all right. I'm not I think gonna... he plans his schedule, and then he's like, you all figure out how you're going to oh, deal with that. that that's actually I've the got a, I've got a haircut on Thursdays. I've got the podcast at some point between 12 and 8. He's not even responding. Look at that. He does his true. <laughs> Life was a lot easier before I was a full-time dad and a full-time worker. Yeah. Don't you ever have, Sean, don't have kids. I'm telling you, man. Go get that vasectomy tomorrow. Right what uh, coffee are you drinking there, Sean? Sean had to go make a coffee run before we were due. Uh, it's just an Americana. Of course. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, okay, so we're going to break down the AFC West today, do some prospect matchmaker really quickly with that. Um, we'll talk to a little bit of Russell Wilson. Then we're going to take a break, and then we're going to break down Game of Thrones. So if you don't want to hear Game of Thrones spoilers, do not listen to this podcast past the break. If you don't want to hear Game of Thrones talk on your favorite football podcast, I don't know what to tell you. It consumes everybody. We like Game of Thrones. I need an avenue to talk about Game of Thrones rather than just tweeting out my disgust over certain aspects of, of the opening show. Or displeasure. I shouldn't say disgust. But first, let's dive into it with the Russell Wilson news. Um, I don't know that there is news. I had him, I mocked him uh, being traded to the Giants in my mock draft that came out on Monday morning. Uh, it was met with Equal parts displeasure from Giants fans, Seahawks fans, uh, Cardinals fans, Rams derision, fans. More so than displeasure, I feel like. What's that? Derision? Yeah, I mean. They hated it. Yeah, they're like, this is ridiculous. This is not going to happen. It's like, well, I hate to break it to you. Russell put a deadline on today, and that was yesterday, April 15th, where he said, I need a contract. Now, the Se- they're not, no contracts happening between now and then. They're, they're gonna, this is going to take some time. Sean's worried that a contract's going to break on April 15th. Because. I was working the night Antonio Brown got signed, and I had plans. And at a certain point, you were like, "It's not happening." That's tonight. a different. That's like, a different story. Go out, and and then of course it happens as soon as I leave and go out. I think Russell goes to bed at eight p.m. though. So if it's that's, not well, here at seven thirty, he is going to be lights out. I think Russell. Here's the problem: Russell wants to be the highest paid quarterback in football. He understands that he is not far from becoming the highest paid quarterback in football because he has one year left on his deal and then he would be franchise tagged and then franchise tagged again. He also understands that the new CBA may change the landscape for quarterbacks in terms of what they are paid. Uh, it could be a percentage of the salary cap. Uh, they could white, they could send it so you can only be tagged once. We don't know how that no one knows what's going to happen with the new CBA, but. Uh, the further he plays this out, the more likely he is to become the highest paid quarterback in football. He's well, he's set for life. He doesn't have to worry about playing chicken on one year deals. He can do that. His wife is loaded. Uh, she probably wants to live in New York. Fish? Yeah, she's a famous singer. I don't know. Can you name one of her songs, Sean? Ooh. And Sean's a music guy. I know oh, she, 
you know, back in the day, I think she had a song with Bow Wow, like <laughs> Me and You or something. I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't listen. That to doesn't strike music. me as someone who's rolling in dough. I mean, maybe she no, does. Look, the, the, the pure, the dough, pure fact that all three of us can't name one of her songs means she's loaded. Okay. Like, like if, if we, I mean, she, she's, she is, she's, so let me ask you this. Cause JLC mentioned this, uh, on $20 million. Called, 20 is called like you, not tw- me and you. $20 million according to celebritynetworth.com. Okay. Fair enough. And that's probably the plus or minus. That's probably 20 million. So she's somewhere between zero. And also, she was married to future, I think. Right. So she probably got. Or maybe they didn't get married. They might not have it's gotten just married. just turning into a pop culture podcast. With Game so of let me ask you this, because Jason wrote about this on Monday and wrote about it last week. Jason Lockham 4, talking about this whole Russell Wilson thing. Aaron Rodgers, on average, is currently the highest-paid quarterback at $33.5 million a year. Uh, half a million uh, half a million of that per year went to the back rubs for Mike McCarthy, I'm told. <laughs> I love laughing at my own jokes. Is Russell Wilson, as Jason sort of hinted at, is someone going to pay him, someone being Seattle or someone else, $38 million a year? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot, but, you know, we talked on the last podcast that the salary cap really doesn't matter. He's only 30, so on and so forth. So it just seems like a lot when you get slapped in the face with $38 million. But, yeah, I guess that's the going right. I think the Seahawks and Russell are just going to let this play out for 2019 and then reassess where they are after the season. And I Would mean, Russell be upset that they ignored his false deadline of April 15th? Well, I think part of Russell's deal is is that he doesn't want – Every single thing that he does this offseason to be focused around that contract discussions. And every time he appears in the media, he has to answer contract discussions. I think he's going to say, hey, we had a deadline April 15th. I'm focusing on 2019. I want to go out there and win. I'm not going to worry about it. It's one of those things. What will be interesting to see is if if they don't reach an agreement today and he says he's just playing out the final year of his deal, how the Seahawks handle the Frank Clark stuff will be interesting because – if they're entering next offseason with both Clark and Wilson, they can't tag both of them. So that means one of them could be on the way out. And well, that's it the would other probably thing. be Clark. Unless they reach a long-term agreement with Clark or trade him. And that's the other thing Russell's probably unhappy about. Uh, in years past, uh, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, um, and uh, Chancellor, Cam Chancellor, all got their huge deals. So Russell's just sort of sitting there hanging out. Um, I don't even know where he ranks right now in terms of payday. He is 12th. $21.9 million, mm. just behind everyone's favorite all-star, Nick Foles, and uh, ahead of Nick Foles, Joe Flacco. I mean, Good Lord. Look, part of the problem is that Russell, to this point of his career, has been severely underpaid almost every single year. He took a below-market deal that was not a bad deal. It was a good contract for him. He needed, he wanted to get paid because he was on that rookie wage scale deal as a third-rounder, but he didn't take a deal that was commiserate with being a top-ten quarterback. And so now I think that... There's a certain, like, I don't even think it's a certain level of I need the money. It's a certain level of I, I have pride and I'm going to be paid what I think I'm worth. Kirk Cousins went out and got 84 million in three years. I'm not taking any discounts. Give me that guaranteed cash. I think he wants guaranteed money into the fourth year. Uh, I just can't see him taking a discount for the Seahawks. I, I just don't Yo, think it's going to happen. Wilson's been the most underpaid quarterback, I think you could argue, since he's been in the league. Because if you look at how severely underpaid that rookie deal was, because he was a third-round pick, and then you're right, he didn't take that lucrative deal. He just took kind of the first offer that came his way that would pay him actual NFL money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, he, I think he's completely in the right. And I also think like he has all the leverage here because if the Seahawks, I think, if they were to lose him and even if they were to drop the Kyler Murray – I don't know how many how many games this team wins without Russell Wilson. I think he covers up so many of their deficiencies and has uh, for so many years. So he signed an $87.6 million contract over four years. Obviously, he's playing out the whole thing. Um, yeah, I mean, even when you factor in that rookie deal, 
because he had, uh, let's see, a 2012, 13, 14. His, uh, his new deal was an add on before the 15 season. And so he had, I mean, when you look at those three cheap years to start, plus the years of the extension, I mean, he's a, he's the best bargain in football over the last half, eight years. I mean, it's, it's incredible considering what he's done for that team. And I think he's just not, and look, he's been through a divorce before with NC State and Wisconsin, and he understands that, um, you know, sometimes, I'm not, I'm, look, I see you guys smirking at me. Sometimes. Well, he also had a real life divorce, but go ahead. Oh, right, he's actually been through a real life <laughs> divorce. I thought, I thought you were talking about that. And I was like, whoa, okay. Okay. Well, he even makes a better point. He's been through multiple divorces at different levels and understands that sometimes you split. And sometimes, like, I don't think it's the same thing as that heartfelt way that Peyton Manning left, uh, Indianapolis. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah, he like, cried, but then he signed for $28 million with the Broncos and won a Super Bowl. Right. And was vengeful at the Colts. At any rate, uh, so that's the Russell Wilson latest. Uh, if he doesn't, you know, there's no deal in place. There's no deal in place because if there is, I had to blow up this podcast and go back and redo it. Let's talk about the AFC, uh, AFC West instead. Russell Wilson not playing in the AFC West, but one quarterback who will get a the most money ever given to a quarterback when he signs a new contract, Patrick Mahomes, is I gave the Chiefs Josh Jacobs in my mock draft on Monday, Ryan. Is that a good or bad fit? Hey, I like Josh Jacobs. He's the number one running back. But if you're drafting guys on the first round and you're the Chiefs, I think you can find better value. And my point is that, look um, – Cream Hunt's gone. Obviously, he got in trouble. Uh, they signed Carlos Hyde. They have Damian Williams. So, I mean, they, they have a need of running back for sure. I, I don't have any issue with taking a running back r- relatively early. But that defense is so terrible. Uh, they got rid of – they cut Justin Houston. They traded D Ford. They need help along the defensive line. Let's see. Who did they um, – they have uh, Honey Badger. They sign. Bashad Breeland, the cornerback, they signed. I'm trying to see who else they got here. Manuel Ogba. Ogba, Okafor uh, in terms of uh, – Edge rushers, but you can certainly add there. I had them taking uh, – who did I have them taking? Let's see. In the most recent one, Byron Murphy, cornerback. But here's the thing. Let me see. Let me preview the seven-round mock draft and see when I have them taking a running back. Because I think – oh, I have them taking uh, Devin Singletary in the third round, who's sort of a scat-back dynamic player, um, a little more um, physical, more athletic than, than Kareem Hunt is. But I don't hate the idea of taking a running back. I also don't hate the idea of taking a wide receiver because we don't know what's happening with Tariq Hill who is uh, yet to face uh, any possible punishment from the NFL for some off-field stuff. Mm. But I think defense, running back, wide receiver, all makes sense, just a matter of when you want to do it. I think they have. They should probably go defense, honestly. I just couldn't find – I don't know what they're going to – like, are they just going to force the best defensive player available and just throw them out there and hope he improves their defense substantially? No, they better not. I mean, it's they're just, pretty good at identifying players. But you can take a cornerback, you can take a, an edge rusher if one falls down there. Um, or, you know, you can get a Debo Samuel if he happens to be there and you like him in terms of – but the problem is if three kill gets cleared, then you have 47 three kills out there, which on paper looks good, but is that going to – Here's the, here's my thing is like if – let's say Tariq Hill is suspended six games, which is possible. We don't we don't know how it's going to happen. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's in the realm of possibility on the, or even the Chiefs cut him because something pops up and they have to act the same way they did with Kareem Hunt. It, all those things are on the table. You need 
Uh, like this team isn't going to win because they add one more defensive player in the draft. They're going to win because the offense is good enough to outscore everyone. So from that perspective, I like the move to go offense here to keep the stability on the offensive side of the ball and not to uh, burn yourself by just like, it's like, Oh, greedy Williams is there. We need a corner. Let's take a corner. Yeah. You know, what you're saying is that in terms of wins over Wilson, Josh, <laughs> Josh, Josh, uh, Jacobs is a higher, uh, wow right. factor than, than Byron Murphy. For wow. Could, wow. 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 <laughs> yeah, I need a wow button. Wow, wow. Uh, no, I mean, look, it, it takes pressure off of um, Patrick Holmes. Josh Jacobs is actually pretty good coming out of the backfield catching passes. So there's a lot of different ways you can use him. He's more dynamic than, than Kareem Hunt. So, you know, all those things certainly make sense. Sean, how about you and the Denver Broncos? You have mentioned that you love Drew Locke a lot, right? <laughs> I don't think I have mentioned that. But seeing that my love for Jay Cutler is still withstanding, I can see why you would think that. Um I like the idea. I don't know if it's going to happen because the linebackers could go before them. I still love the idea of a linebacker going to the the Broncos at 10. And I feel like I've been saying this for the last month. Vic Fangio defenses, if you look at the success he's had in San Francisco and Chicago, that he's always had two really good inside linebackers at both spots. So you had Danny Trevathan um, and Roquan Smith most recently in Chicago. And then if you go back to San Francisco, you have Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman. And so they look, they got rid of Brandon Marshall. There's an opening there. I think if, you know, Devin Bush or Devin White, Devin White probably won't get to 10. Um, but if Devin Bush is there at 10, I think the Broncos should pull the trigger on that. I'd rather do that than Drew Locke. And I'm not a, I'm not a Flacco guy in any, um, in any kind of way, but I think they can get a quarterback next year. And I'm not certain Drew Locke is the long, it's, it's honestly in a way like you're taking another Flacco, yeah. <laughs> like a younger Flacco. Thanks. I don't really see the point in that. So. I would go all in on – you hired Vic Fangio. I'd go all in on, on his defense being the reason why you could win. I, no, I like that move. And I think, again, the ownership thing with Denver is so bizarre, and so you don't know exactly how that's going to influence what John Elway does. I do get the sense, though, that Elway might – as much as he might like Drew Locke, that he knows if he goes to Flacco, sees how it works, and then drafts a quarterback next year, maybe the year after, you can push – sort of your standing with the organization down. You can kick the can down the road a little bit by waiting to draft that other quarterback instead of just firing again on Drew Locke after you've whipped on Paxton Lynch. And if he misses on Locke, I mean, that could be – It's going to get – it might get fired. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he can't, Who's he can't fire miss him? again. That's the thing is nobody – there's nobody to fire him. I don't, like, I, don't, yeah. I don't know who fire. like, honestly, I don't know who fires him. Um, Ryan, what do you think about the, the, the most confusing team maybe in this division, maybe in the entire first round, is the Los Angeles Chargers? They uh, – I have a I have a hard time matching them to a prospect. I, I like uh, I like either using a corner, like maybe a Greedy Williams if he's there, or even Garrett Bradbury uh, as somebody to replace uh, uh, Pouncey in, in maybe two years when he's con- he's a free agent after this year. So um, I don't mind those fits, but does anybody else pop out to you when you look at the, the Chargers? Yeah, two things come out: offensive line and defensive line. Bradbury makes some sense. He doesn't want to play anything other than center. Adam taking Chris Lindstrom out of BC, the the guard, he can. He'll play guard, uh, and he can sort of play immediately. In the past, I've had him taking guys like Christian Wilkins on the inside. Um, so Dexter Lawrence, his teammate in other mock drafts. Jerry Tillery, got guy at Notre Dame who I like a lot as an interior guy. Any of those three you put up, you put with uh, Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, and you're on to something. So uh, that's a, a huge sort of upgrade to that defense. Uh, I've had him taken in previous mock drafts as well, the offensive tackle. Uh, Andre Dillard, for example, I don't know if he'll be there at this point. They picked 28. But that's um, th- those are guys that help immediately. You're trying to protect Philip Rivers offensively, obviously. And then the second round, I've had him taking 
uh, at least most recently, uh, a linebacker, Mac Wilson. They they did sign Denzel Perryman and brought him back. I think. Um, I think they just brought him back. Or either that, or he has two years left in his deal. He's no, no, yeah, yeah, they brought him. They brought him back. Yeah, I mean, like if you could, if you could get um, Devin Bush at where the car, where the Chargers are, that's a home run slam dunk steal. But I don't think that's going to happen. Right. In fact, he ain't. I think I said on the last podcast, he, I haven't the Steelers taking him at twenty. That ain't that ain't happening. That's just a, a function of how the board unfolded in front of him in this version of it. Mac Wilson could be there at the end of the second round. He ran a four seven five, I think. Bush and, and White ran four fours. So th- there's a huge difference in terms of the the combine production and on the on the field they didn't play. Mac Wilson was wasn't as good as those guys either. Uh, in subsequent rounds I had him taking more offensive line help um, and then defensive uh, back help and that's something you also see even though they got derwin james last year 16 or 17 whenever that was no one thought that he would fall there you can still take another safety or another cornerback because you can never have too many defensive backs in a league uh, that throws the ball all the time in a division where you face patrick Mahomes twice a year and joe flacco more importantly twice a year it's a good call uh all right how about the raiders we got three people on this podcast the raiders have three picks uh sean who would be your best case scenario for them at number four I'm assuming that's the easiest for you, given all the mock drafts you've done. Yeah, well, um, I mean, it's if Kyler Murray won't fall to four, I don't, might, I don't think so. But if if he did, I'd, I'd say that would be the best case scenario. But I don't want to make that my pick because I just, I don't, I think they're gonna have to trade up to one in order to get him. Uh, I think the best case scenario is Quinn and Williams or Josh Allen, one of those two. And I, there's a very good chance they're gonna be able to get one of those two if they stay stay at four. And that's why I would stay at four if I were them. And if they don't get one of those two. If they don't get one of those two, that means Nick Bosa's there. So exactly. So when I would I wouldn't trade up. I would if I were them. I don't like we hate on Derek Carr a lot. I don't think you have to replace him this year. Um, and I think the value that they're going to get at four, they're going to get one incredible defensive prospect. And I would rather we saw how bad that defense has been and how bad they were last year, especially up front. I think it, it's it's such a clear need, and you're not even you know reaching for a need. You're taking the best player available. How about 24, Ryan? What's the best case scenario for them at 24? I'd say Noah, think, Noah Fant. Oh, that's how you read my mind. Yeah, Noah Fant would be great. I think he just visited there Monday, Tuesday. So they're clearly interested in him, and it makes sense. Jared Cook's now gone to, to New Orleans. He led that team in targets last year with over 100. Um, the only issue with bringing Noah Fant there is how angry is that going to make Antonio Brown from his lack of lack of uh, throws in his direction. But Noah Fant, I mean, he, he's a fantastic athlete, Evan Ingram-like player. He's not going to block, but who cares? Um, and, and I think that makes a ton of sense there. You could also take an edge rusher if one falls there, but I think Noah Fant gives you more value than someone like Cleveland Farrell, who's a really good player, but not the sort of – he's not the top prospect as an edge rusher as Noah Fant is as a tight end. I'll say at 27, best-case scenario is either Garrett Bradbury, who could replace uh, – uh, uh, Rodney Hudson, who's on heading into the final year of his contract, or Cleveland Farrell. And I think if you come out of this draft and you have an ed- you get an edge rusher, maybe two edge rushers, and, a, and an offensive weapon like Noah Fant, or a center, an offensive weapon, and uh, and an edge rusher, you've done a really good job. Wouldn't be surprised at all if they took a cornerback there. Uh, Greedy Williams would work. Uh, Byron Murphy, if he's still there, that n- none of those would surprise me. Uh, and I, I don't think I wouldn't be shocked at all if they came out of here with an uh, with a wide receiver either. The the world is your oyster, John Gruden. Enjoy it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll bring on John Breach, and then we'll break down game of throats. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. 
That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, we're back and we're joined by the one, the only John Breach to talk some Game of Thrones. Again, if you have not watched Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 1, and you want to watch it without any discussion about what happened, I would recommend not listening to the rest of this podcast. Um, I will point out, though, guys, John, to you first, since we haven't talked to you, that there weren't a whole lot of spoilers. Like, there's nothing to spoil from the first episode. Nothing was really that surprising to me in that in that first episode. What do you think? Uh, first of all, I thought they should <clears throat> have dedicated the entire episode to Sean because it was all Arya all the time, and, and Sean got... He was fantasizing all summer about Arya and Jon Snow reuniting in Winterfell, and it happened. I'm sure he cried like a baby. He tweeted about crying. He's like, I cried. Everybody who cried. I mean, I cried twice. He did not tweet that. Yes, he did. He's like, I've cried so much. So much. That's embarrassing. Brinson cried about Tiger Woods. I I cried cried about Arya and Jon. I cried twice on Sunday. I cried when Arya and Jon hugged. Or maybe, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I may cry, but I, 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 my, tear, my eyes you got get a, little, a little misty. I got a little misty. You feel a little emotional. I straight up cried I, when Tiger won. I thought it was a completely deflating reunion between John and Arya. First, she just why, she didn't say anything when, when he went by on the horse. She didn't say anything, and I thought maybe she would sort of give him a hey, what's up? Nothing. And then they made two bad jokes at one another, and she basically warned him, "Don't forget who you are, because Sansa's going to kill you at some point." That's a good point. So Wilson is not a fan and did not cry and has no emotions because he's a stone hearted individual. How I got out of that statement. I was, I mean, I was frankly kind of shocked that, so here, Sean and I were talking about this a little bit on Twitter on, on, on Sunday night, but I think that what was interesting about this, this episode is that a, it was shorter than sort of, I guess what I was expecting. And it felt really short. Like it ended kind of quick. Um, I guess it was the full 50 minutes, but whatever. The shortest episode of the season. Yes, the shortest episode of the season. It was very much an exposition episode, which is like a traditional Game of Thrones season opener in which they move everybody around the board to try and sort of line up where they're going to go with the coming action of, of the season. The difference is it feels like there's a whole lot of things that have to happen now in a really compressed amount of time like when you're season three you're like oh whatever you know move guys around i don't care you know i got we got years and years and years and now it was like okay uh you you got to get going and, and then you add in the fact and this this sort of pissed me off and i, I don't know about you guys but it's like john snow and and denarius go on their dragon ride together and it's a romantic dragon ride it's cool uh john is uh, apparently unfazed that he could just ride a dragon like oh well, of course i can ride a dragon why wouldn't i be able to ride a dragon anybody can ride a dragon and then instead like when they start flying i was like all right cool they're either going to go scout for where the white walkers are or they're going to like get attacked by the white walkers and the night king and the, and the, and the ice dragon and instead they just flew to a waterfall and had sex like, what, what, what's going on? You have so little time, and there's a zombie tyrant careening around the, the, the countryside looking to murder everyone, and you're like, let's go on a date? This, that's I insane! I don't understand your argument, though, because your argument, at least last night, is that the pacing in last season was off and it was rushed, which I completely agree with. Um, so why aren't you savoring an episode like this? No, I, 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 time and not, you know, rushing the plot forward and is doing a careful job of, you know, giving all the exposition and giving all the reunions that had to happen at some point. And they're not rushing through that. 
So I agree. I think the rest of the season will be rushed because but the that's, last that's my, was rushed. That's my concern. But, is that? But that's why I'm savoring an episode like this one that didn't feel rushed. That but also, Sean, I think I think what Will is saying is that he enjoyed the episode overall. Yeah. But why are you throwing five minutes of a softcore porn into the episode <laughs> yeah. that had nothing to do with anything? Did not advance the plot except for us to know that. Maybe Danny and John are still interested in each other, but I think everyone already figured that based on the fact that Sansa wants to murder uh, Daenerys. So, and all the side eye Sansa gave her was amazing. And literally, Sansa is my new favorite person on the planet, and that is my biggest take from the episode. My, I think- uh, hold on, so let me let me just counter what John and, and Will are thinking. Here's the thing: so it, I didn't I didn't see all the sex. I missed that part. I have to go back and watch that on the at the Aspen Resort. But I think they're spending the time together riding the dragons. My first thought was, why are they not getting cold? It's freezing out there. No one's got any gloves on. And my second thought afterwards, as the story progressed, the first episode, it first of all, it showed how strong their bond has grown, which is something I thought I would never say. But <laughs> when Sam Tarley finds out what Daenerys did to his family, and then he goes to John to talk to him about it, and John seems torn about what he has to do, it could be a situation where John now has to decide – Whose side is he going to be on? And to follow up on what Breach just said, my my player of the game in episode one was, was Sam Tarly. The the weird thing about the Sam Tarly thing though is like like Daenerys comes in, she's like, "Oh, hello, Samwell. Thank you for saving my my friend here, Jorah." And he's like, "Oh, it's no problem. You know, I just learned some stuff and things." She's like, "I do need a pardon," and she's like, "Okay, that's cool. I can pardon you." Uh, by the way, I did murder your entire family in cold blood, and he sprints out crying, and then in total non sequitur fashion, he like sees Bron or Bran, excuse me, Brandon, and, and he's like, he's like, he's like bawling. He's like, "She murdered my family." He's like, "You have to tell John." That he's banging his aunt, and and, and he's like, uh, okay, I guess I'll that. You tell him that he's the king. Well, okay, I, I just I felt like you it, really hate Danny's. What I'm getting out of this? No, no. I look again. I thought it was a good episode. I thought they slowed things down, but like certain things, they just had to make these big jumps. Like I don't remember how Samuel. I don't remember Samuel getting to King's Land to Winterfell last season. Somehow he took the magic well, carpet. That, that's about your it. that's your memory. That's just well, that's fine. But it's like okay. So how long had Samuel been hanging out? In the, like, so John got to King's Landing and what even like, where's my buddy Sam that I haven't he seen? He thought, he thought Sam was at the Citadel. So he had no idea Sam was even at, at Winterfell. Somebody could have told him. I mean, somebody could have been like, hey, your, your pal okay, Sam's. Okay, but we're going to get mad about these little like logistical, like. Sort of, yes. I mean, that's just. Brissett when you have this a, many characters and this many thrones. moving parts, you can't have everyone in like one scene at once. Like in real life, if, if John's coming back. Everyone is is greeting everyone that he needs to see is greeting him right when he gets there. But in in a TV show, that's just that's just too many moving parts for one scene. I thought you gotta I, spread I, it out. I thought the vehicle of getting Samwell from the library where he learns about that his family's Sit been off. slayed by his new king. No, no, no. From the library at oh, okay. King's Landing to outside and then into the biggest moment in the history of the show, really relative to the books, when he tells. John, that John is in fact Aegon Targaryen, was it just felt like very convoluted. Am I wrong? But there? also that let me throw in there that the fact that John finds that out and him riding the dragon for the first time also probably plays into his head because you know the Targaryens are the ones that control the dragons that can ride the dragons and maybe that's going to be part of hey this is why it wasn't weird this is why the dragon just didn't eat me for uh, sleeping with their mom is because I'm kind of technically related to these guys. I've, I've got dragon blood in me. And the other thing I would just want to say, because I'm looking at Wilson right now, is that 
brand seeing Jamie, just everyone imagine that face. That is the perpetual face that Wilson makes based after any comment any of us make on this podcast. And, and the response that Jamie had, that's Brenton's face. <laughs> the, like, um, I, I'm guilty as charged. Is that the face? Can we, can we, can we take a moment to, to praise some of the good stuff, though, in this yeah. episode? You yes. guys, I feel like you're taking Sam a lot Sam scene was amazing. Oh, all right, I don't want to argue about this right now, but if we're like the handing three out prostitutes, MVPs, was pretty awesome. I think the MVP of the episode is, is before Bonza. before we she do that. Me. Before we do that, I do want to point out that this this mashup with this if you play this music over that scene, it's incredible. There's a there's a there's a there's a there's a tweet out there where it's like that's overlaid of like Jamie and and, and Brandon seeing each other, and it's it's pretty perfect. It's pretty perfect. Okay, go ahead, Sean. So what I thought the episode did so well is, look, this is a season about the future. And, like, they had a new, even Game of Thrones, like, intro, like, the song, all all the graphics were different. Um, but this episode was so much just about the past. And if you look at all the things, the little callbacks they had either to the pilot or just to the early season, um, I thought that was incredible. Look, the first shot of the of the new season is a boy running through the crowd, and he's trying to catch a glimpse of Daenerys and Jon um, riding through town. That was Arya in season one, and who is the person that lets the boy through this time? It's Arya. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, the boy climbs the tree. Um, Bran was climbing up the castle of, of Winterfell to try to get a glimpse. And then you even have oh. it. Um, what's up? What was Bran trying to get a look at? No, no, I'm talking about the like the very beginning, before he falls. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, and then Kat's like, I told you not to stop climbing um, because he's climbing to catch he was, a... He was trying to get a glimpse, glimpse of Robert, Robert Baratheon. Baratheon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then in the first season, you have Kat or Ned asking um, Sansa, where's Arya? And she doesn't know, and that's what Jon asked um, Sansa right away. Um, you have Bronn getting interrupted with, with the women, kind of serious, kind of similar to how Tyrion got interrupted with women in season one. Uh, you have the White Walkers leaving a symbol... Um, behind that was like the first scene of the show was the Night's Watch guy finding these bodies arranged in a pattern. Um, you have a waterfall and like a cave, very similar with John and Danny this time, very similar to John and Egret. Um, and then I, a couple things um, that other people pointed out on Twitter and on Reddit that I didn't notice. Um, when Ned says to John, the next time we see each other, I'll tell you about your mother. That obviously never happens, but if you look when John finds out about the truth, he is standing directly in front of Ned's statue um, in the crypts of Winterfell. Um, so I thought that was well done. And then you have Robert in season one telling um, telling John that, or sorry, telling telling Ned that I have a son, you have a daughter, we'll join our houses. Certainly looks like Arya and Gendry um, have some fireworks going, so I think that could be the way that those two houses are joined. Mm, I like it. Uh what did you think about the um, the dragon looking at Jon Snow during the the? Uh, I liked it. It's weird because it's like when you well, it's like when you spend the night at a girl's house and she has a dog yeah, and the dog like sits the there. Dog. Yeah, I mean, or like I mean, I mean, like was, yeah. So it was funny, but I also think it was very much serving the purpose of he's looking at him because he knows that he's a Targaryen. 
Yeah, John didn't really pick up on that. Like the dragon's no, like no, no. the dragon's it's like snuggling you and letting you ride him and watching you have sex with his his master, his master and you just you're just not picking up on it, John. You know well, what? That's fine. Like, why would you assume you're a Targaryen? Like, you... that would be the and like think about like the arrogance of you assuming like no, like I think secretly I am the rightful heir. Like John, John, a reluct the most reluctant leader ever who wants to die and doesn't want to have power would never assume that. Like right. that is the furthest thing from his mind. But as it turns out, he knows nothing. Jon Snow knows nothing. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, any other thoughts? What's that? Uh, I don't want to copy like all the Ringer podcasts, but who do you guys think won the won the episode, or who's your winner? Oh, I'll tell you who won. He said Sam. We already know who he said. He, he won on the good side. On the bad side, you're on one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although Cersei's up to, I mean, I, I say by the way, the loser is uh, is is Tyrion. Because like he just gets abused, dunked on by Sansa. Yeah, she's like, I used to think you were the cleverest man alive, and he's like, I thought that was a great line because usually you would finish that line. No need, just walk off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just walks away. She had some amazing lines recently. And last season, it was Littlefinger. She was like, No need to say something. Then the conversation, Lord Baelish. I'll assume it's something clever, and then she just walks away. Yeah, and um, she said, Yeah, she said good mic drop moments lately. And 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 Tyrion pointed out too. He's like, You know. Everybody underestimated who you would, be, you know, like the person you would become, and you, you proved everybody wrong. And I think that's true. That that sort of line, by the way, and I think not to dig too deep into the the specific rhetoric, but that sort of line isn't a throwaway. I mean, like I don't think it's just praising Sansa and building her up. I think it tells you that there is an actual conflict between Danny and Sansa coming at some oh, point. Yeah, you and know, think- there are no throwaway lines in Game of Thrones. I mean, as Sean just brought up with Ned talking to Jon Snow from five seasons ago six seasons ago is that now you have that came around this far ahead in the future and so obviously we don't have seven more years left but it's real easy to look and say hey something's gonna happen in episode six look back at that line and be like oh wow by the Uh, way can i ask quickly the the worst way to die in game of thrones history may have been in episode eight one with the umber fella yeah they killed. It's like we, it's like everybody's expecting to kill somebody. They kill a small child, and they do it while he's staked in the heart as a dead zombie lying in wait as a trap with an octopus-style uh, uh, thing Make all around. Arms him. and legs, by the way. Yeah. Would you, was that was that um, the, the so once they set it all on fire? Was that attempting to symbolize the um, the tree and pain? That's what that symbolized. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but uh, was it the symbol of the tree from above, or was it the Targaryens? Uh, we don't sigil? we don't really know. And if you look at the history, Riley McAtee for the Ringer wrote a piece on it, and he didn't reach a conclusion. But all these like spirals have been kind of originated from the children of the forest. We don't really know what yeah. they mean. Um, but if you go back through the show's history, the White Walkers are using it a lot. Um, but if when John went into that cave last season um, for the Dragonglass and they found the drawings that the Children of the Forest had left, mm. there were also a lot of spirals down there. So I think I don't think it's a Targaryen symbol, which is what a lot of people are were immediately reading into it. Yeah, I didn't think so either. I, I, saw I the, think it has something to do with the Children of the Forest, and we don't know what it well, is. Well, I mean, the Children of the Forest created the White Walkers by stabbing yeah. the guy in the in the chest with the yeah, yeah. with the Dragonglass the iceberg. Counteract, the counteract men. Yeah, so I mean, like there. the ultimate goal might be to kill everyone, and hopefully you get restored to not being a white knight, white knight king. I don't know. Um, I do have one more beef with the, and this is not with the, I hope it's not with the writing of the show. It's really more about the characters and their behavior in the show. Uh, where, no one's worried about where the Night King and this army of like dead zombies is? Like you're telling- Yeah, they talked about it. 
Yeah, but they're like, he's somewhere between here and the wall. Like, well, he's just wandering. Like, go look for him. Figure I out where he is. Do some reconnaissance. Next, next episode, they're going to, I think, because Tormund is going to arrive in, in Winterfell. And I think in the preview, if you watch, like, the 30-second preview, I think um, John asks him, how long do we have? And Tormund indicates not long at all. So when the Umber kid dies, he's at the, the wall, right? No, he's at his um, his his home, which uh, is, I believe, between Winterfell and the wall. And the wall, yeah. Well, that would imply that they're close. But it's I don't think the battle is going to happen next episode. I think the battle will be episode three. No. You think the battle next... of the Night King is going to be episode three? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the long one because wow. I they're too close, and I think what and yeah. I don't think in Game of Thrones fashion they're going to have the big battle be. The second to last one, because I think there's so much they have to sort out after, after the battle. And it's worth noting too that um, I was reading an interview with uh, Weiss and Deboff or whatever Deboff Deboff Benny Benioff yeah Benioff whatever how do you pronounce it Zach Johnson <laughs> Tiger Woods and uh, Zach Johnson uh, no but they they pointed out that this is like one of the longest live action fights that that has ever been shot. I think it's in history even with movies it's no, but they, like but they, no. Lord of the Rings ones and yeah, oh yeah, yeah yeah but they said there's one they're like it's not I can't remember the name of the, the movie but it's an old school movie they were like it's not that long and that one was 55 minutes long um, real quick before we get out of here um, John mentioned at the beginning that he um, Sans has become his favorite I think she I think she won the episode um, in a landslide because she asserted herself to Daenerys, um, and she dunked up, she dunks on Tyrion. She has so many incredible lines in this episode. Um, you know, Tyrion brings up the last time we saw each other at Joffrey's wedding. Um, that was an unpleasant affair. She goes, it had its moments. And then he, she's talking about how he's, uh, handed the queen. And then she says, like, that's a, that's a great job. Depends on the queen, I guess. And then you have the clever, cleverest man alive line. But I think what takes it for her, is that John, without Sansa there, is trying to, you know, you know, talk some crap about her to Arya. And Arya is the one who stands up for her and says she's the smartest person I've ever met and she's defending our family. Don't forget that. So she wants, she wins the support of Arya. And a lot of people speculated last season that when it came between Arya and, sorry, when it came between John and Sansa, Arya would take John's side because she was mm. much closer to John. She's taking Sansa's side if there is a conflict between the two. John, let me just say that the Sansa bandwagon is full. You are get off it. You're not welcome. I've been on this for longer. We than talked you about have. it last week. You had your chance to predict who would be on the Iron Throne at the end. I predicted Sansa. Sansa won episode one. Don't you start agreeing with my opinions. I'm not happy about this right now. I don't want this about face. Sansa, yeah, John's right. John bandwagon Lance. is full. This I, is John, not last in Game of Thrones. He's throwing away support here. Breach, He's throwing away is, welcome support. You need all the allies you can get. John. Breach, Winter's coming. Breach, this is where you should have been like, Sean, I used to think you were the cleverest little man. And then like, I could have just shut <laughs> yeah. off the, then I could have just Ooh. shut off the podcast and just like cut the music. Hey, before we go, I need to ask John a very important question. John, do you like roller coasters? Did this come up earlier on the podcast? Yeah. Are you be embarrassed? My no, God. you'll be embarrassed. No, no, no. Just, no. Guess yes, who, I enjoy roller coasters. Yeah. If you had to rank among the four of us who loves roller coasters the most and who hates them the most, what would your rankings be? You include yourself. Uh, well, Sean's a little bit weird, so I would say he does not like roller coasters. Wilson is older. I feel like older people don't always love roller coasters, but I feel like you would do it with your kids if they asked you to go on one. 
And although Brinson's hair might get messed up, I feel like of you three, he would be the most likely to go on a roller coaster. You, you, yeah, na- that's what, that's you nailed the perfect. hypothetical rankings. As it turns out, I hate I, I've been on Space Mountain, and that's it in my entire life. I won't go. Oh, on you roller coasters. It. I hate it as well. Yeah. I love roller coasters. I hate the fair too. The fair is like 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 I'm trusting like some random dude who's been traveling around the country some on carny. meth, some carny on meth to like put together like the thing that's going to kill me. Please, I've, they smell like cabbage. Jeez. Awesome powers. Yeah, that's awesome powers. All right, we go to the to the to the amusement park. Me and you'll be doing the roller coasters. That's right. I'm um, in. Count me Vincent in. Vincent and I will be doing the drinking. So sounds like a fun trip. John, will be, John will be doing the drinking and the roller coaster. We'll, we'll do a live <laughs> podcast from the roller coaster. That's right. All right, we're getting out of here. We'll be back uh, tomorrow. Dane Brugler is going to join the show and talk about NFL draft stuff. In the meantime, subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening. See you All guys. All men must die.